The Reds pitching staff needs to do two things this year. We'll tell you what those two things are on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily source for all things Cincinnati Reds. I'm Stephen Offenbaker. He's Jeff Carr, and we love baseball. We love these Cincinnati Reds, and we have taken that love of the game and that love for this team, and we have turned it into information for you. Locked on Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And on today's podcast, happy pitchers and catchers report day. That is right. Pitchers and catchers are showing up in Goodyear, Arizona today with their first workout starting tomorrow. Uh, we're going to tell you uh, what this group of arms assembled by Nick Crawl can do to provide themselves with a better opportunity for success in 2024. Uh, we're also going to take a look at Tyler Stevenson and discuss whether or not this is going to be his breakout year. And no, he's not hitting 40 home runs. Get out of the comments <laughs> with that. I'm also sure that you have heard that the Reds gave Jonathan India a two-year deal to avoid arbitration. We are going to discuss that as well. Before we get into any of that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets back if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And Jeff, where we are going to get started is with Pitcher expectations. There is a, a lot of data that we can pull on all of the pitchers that currently make up the Reds pitching staff and see where they are lacking, see where they may need some improvement, see where there are areas of opportunity to be better in 2024 than they have been in previous seasons. So uh, I think it's probably a good time with pitchers showing up in Goodyear today for us to look at some of those things and kind of predict the things we think they need to work on to get better to make this team a playoff contender in 2024. Yeah, and I don't think we need to beat around the bush either. Like when you look at the 2023 Cincinnati Reds, the reason they didn't make the playoffs is because they didn't pitch well enough to make the playoffs. And it's something that they need to be better at this season. There's really two things that they can do to, to make sure that this year is better on the mound than last year. The first one is simple. Keep the ball on the ground. And the second one is they need the bullpen specifically needs to put away the smoke and mirrors because well, I'll explain that here in a minute. Let's start with the ground ball thing, because this was something we've been talking about all offseason when it came to the pitchers that Nick Crawl was going to bring in, whether it be a trade, whether it be a signing, whatever it is, make sure you bring in a guy that keeps the ball on the ground. The Reds in 2023, Steve, were the worst in the National League, and there was only one team in the majors that was worse than them, and it was the Oakland Athletics who were actively trying to be worse than everyone else at everything on a baseball field. So I'm not even really sure that I feel good about the Reds not being last there. They were 39% when it came to keeping the ball on the ground. That meant over 60% of the time the ball was in the air in some form or fashion, whether it be a line drive, a fly ball, what have you, it wasn't on the ground. And there are many reasons why that is not a good thing if you are a Cincinnati Reds pitcher. Oh, it's not. Uh, the first one of those things, Jeff, is that Great American Ballpark always labeled the band box, always labeled the hitter-friendly park. Great well, American there, small is, park. 
<laughs> yeah, there is truth to that because Great American Ballpark was number three on the list of homers in 2023. The, there are only two parks had more home runs hit in them than Great American Ballpark did. That's truest in Atlanta, and with that lineup, you can kind of see Ronald why. Acuna accounted for like 140 of those, didn't he? <laughs> like, pretty much. And then they were number two on the list, correct? And then number one on yep. the list was... Rangers. Uh, Globe Globe Life Field, the home of the world champion, Texas Rangers. Yeah, and I think that this is an important thing, and this has always been the case. I mean, talking about the Reds improving their ground ball rate is not a new talking point around this pitching staff because of Great American Ballpark. It has always been a launching pad for any sort of power hitter to come in here. Really not even like if you have just a little bit of power and you get a hold of a fly ball, you get those like midsummer great American ballpark home runs as they talk about on the broadcast all the time where it's like that looked like it was going to be an F9 or an F7, whatever. And it just kind of carried into the stands that always happens. You know, when it doesn't happen, it's when you keep the ball on the ground. And the way that you do that, and, and this is something that is not really that hard to understand, but when you talk about how do you fix this, the pitchers got to keep the ball low in the strike zone, and they got to use more curveballs, more split fingers, two-seam fastballs. Really need to see some more two-seamers because there's been a movement lately, and it's something that's talked about on a lot of different broadcasts. If you listen to other teams' broadcasts, they harp on this a lot too, is that pitching philosophy over the last few years has really tended more toward guys who throw four seamers up in the zone. Well, the Reds have a couple of guys that still do that, but don't throw very hard. And I feel like they need to kind of change their philosophy a little bit and get the ball low in the strike zone. Well, by, by going low, by going at the bottom of the zone, down around the knees, you force hitters to change their swings. They're going to have to chop down on the ball more. You know, Major League Baseball hitters have changed the way they swing, and you can see it as there's a pronounced dip in a swing to lift the ball and drive it out. You have to try and take that away from them. And if you miss with a ball up, if you're a little bit low in the zone but still high, they're going to use that scoop and they're going to drive it out on you. Being low in the zone with breaking pitches, uh, I think that will help uh, solve this problem. And listen, this is a this is a campaign you've been leading for a while now, Jeff. You've been talking about these ground ball percentages, and it's really easy to kind of see now. And you can put it in stark contrast to what other teams are doing, where the Reds are are last in this because uh, we see it. We see it in the the home run totals. We see it in in the run totals. We see it in the fly ball percentages. We see that it needs to be a thing that happens, and it's not that hard of a fix. It's going to require some of the pitchers to change the way they attack the zone, but some. Of these numbers are going to naturally improve just by say replacing Luke Weaver in the starting rotation with a Nicola Dolo. We talk yeah. about Frankie Montas coming in. Frankie Montas, while a fly ball pitcher, is still four percent better than league average in that four percent better category. than the Reds, four percent than the better. Reds in that in yeah. that category. So he's an improvement versus what they did last season. So those two things are fixes. All right already before we even have the first game of the season that's an improvement but the rest of the pitchers are going to have to come along in this process yeah and kind of looking at one dude who's going to be a big part of this starting pitching staff and that's Andrew Abbott last season in his 21 starts he had a 28 percent ground ball rate and Andrew Abbott gives up a lot of hard contact as well so that's a dangerous combination there he's very good in other areas and I'm 
I'm not saying he's a bad pitcher. I'm just saying this is an area that he really needs to improve on, keeping the ball lower in the zone. He's going to turn into a pitcher that not only misses bats, but misses barrels as well. And that's how he can take that next step. But that's kind of a that's kind of a, a, a point of challenge when it comes to this ground ball point. The other point that I made, bullpen needs to lose the smoke and mirrors. What are we talking about with this? Well, you and I have said, and I still maintain that the bullpen was pretty good last year. One of the reasons that we said that is because the fan graphs war, F war calculation for them, they were a top five F war bullpen when it came to the major leagues. Now, funny thing about that, it's a stat. Funny thing about stats, you can kind of use them interchangeably in some different ways. And there's plenty of other numbers that could have refuted what we were talking about. For example, you could point out the bullpen's walk rate last year of 4.21 per nine innings. That was 25th in Major League Baseball. That, Steve, you talk about walks per better. nine all the time. Yeah, that, that, that's that, a that horrible has to get number. better. That's got to be under three. It's unacceptable yeah. for the bullpen as a whole to be over three on walks per nine innings. And they were over four. So they were worse than unacceptable. They were, they were just bad. And then you take that and their K rate, eight and a half per nine, 27th out of 30 in major league baseball. So not only were they bad at walking people, they were bad at striking people out too. You put that together. That's not really great. You're giving up base runners and you're not missing bats. And then the other part with this, and, and everybody loves the stat. They were lucky when it came to BABIP. In fact, they were fourth. They had the fourth lowest BABIP in major league baseball last year. And that's just not something that is sustainable. They had a 280 BABIP league average, like 299, 300, somewhere around there, usually on a year by year basis. So they were getting lucky on the batted balls that they had. There was a lot of gloves that they were finding, but Steve, all of this is to be said with the most important stat. What was that? The Cincinnati Reds had the most appearances where a relief pitcher entered the game with runners on base. And it wasn't even close. Uh, you have to, at a point to wonder how lucky this bullpen really was because there were tons of ducks on the pond, man. And they, they faced it more than any other bullpen in baseball. For example, I mean, and, and not even for example, the number was 227, 227 times a Reds relief pitcher came into the game with a runner on base. No other team was above 200. And in fact, there was only one other team that was above 180 times. That's how bad the Reds, or that's that's how many times the Reds face those things. They have got to cut that down. Nick Crawl understood that a lot of what the bullpen did last year was smoke and mirrors, and they really needed to shore up that pen. And he went out and he got Brent Suter. He got Emilio Pagan. He got Nick Martinez. And, you know, when you put all those up against, like, the Josh haters of the world and things like that, you're like, well, he didn't go out and he got the best. But think of what he'd been doing the last three, four years with his bullpen. It was waiver claims and, uh, and, and you know, minor league deals with invites to spring training. This is much better, and the bullpen improved. They just need to make sure that they continue to improve. Better walks per nine, better strikeouts per nine, and for the love of God, give these guys a little bit of a break so they don't have to come in in high-leverage situations with everybody on base. Right, and keep the ball on the ground when you do give up contact. Contact to the ground. Listen, you know, the pitching staff, if they can do that, Jeff, if they can keep the ball on the ground, if they can put away the smoke and mirrors, as you call it, the sky's the limit. This team is going to perform well. Well, you know, Steve, catchers are reporting too. I, I, I don't know if you knew that. 
but that means that Tyler Stevenson is going to be in Goodyear. What does a breakout season look like for Ty Steve? We'll discuss that coming up next. Before we do, I want to tell you about one of today's sponsors. That's eBay Motors. Because passion, drive, and patience brings home the winning trophy as much as it helps you keep your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level up to its peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style ebay motors has you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home the dub Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Thanks as always for making Lockdown Reds your first listen every single day. Every day is coming up on the next show. We're, we're going to talk about it here later on in this podcast. Jonathan India signed a new contract. Tomorrow we're going to expound. We've been talking about this. Two points. Two points to take away from the India contract. Both of them have to do with whether or not the Reds are going to trade Jonathan India. We'll discuss that coming up on the next show. But right now, Steve, we want to look at Ty Steve. We want to look at Tyler Stevenson. Is a breakout coming? Because we've kind of, we kind of talked about it last year. We got a little overhyped on the power. But what does it look like for Tyler Stevenson? Because I think we got to the point where we thought he was going to be this team's cleanup hitter. He was going to be this team's driving force in the lineup. Not only was he not, I now no longer think he needs to even worry about being that. So what does a breakout look like for him? So first of all, it's an completely healthy season. He has to remain healthy. Yes. For the entire year, he, you know, he told us that he wants to catch 130 games a year, that he could do that comfortably and then fill in the, that was before the whole right base and all that stuff. Right. Designated hitter time to, to round that out a little bit more, get him into, you know, 140 to 150 games. Uh, That seems reasonable to me. If you look at his numbers last year, Jeff, uh, he finished the year with a slash line of 243, 317, 378. That's not horrible for a catcher, uh, but it's also not a breakout. When you when you dig a little bit deeper into his numbers and look at you know how he broke down as far as months go, what he was able to do, there were two months in the year where he really excelled, and that was to start the season and then about halfway through the season. When you when you break him down by the months, the first month of the season, his slash line was 276, 360, 337. And then later in the year, we got into the month of June and he really took off 281, 316, 438. I think that month of June is what a breakout looks like consistently throughout a season where he's hitting 270 to 280, where his on base percentage is between three and three, 300 and 320, and then a slugging set percentage above 400. That's a breakout. 
for Tyler Stevenson. It's not an unrealistic breakout. It's not something that he can't achieve if he's healthy and playing as much as he wants to be playing. And considering the fact that all of the pressure has now been taking off of him, no longer is he going to be required to be the, the engine that drives this lineup. There's other guys for that. Now he just needs to show up, call a good game, be effective behind the plate and slot into the seventh, eighth, nine spot in this lineup and feast. And if he can put up those numbers like he did in June, 381, 316, 438, I will be beyond satisfied with that performance from him in 2024. Yeah, it's interesting because Tyler Stevenson is a guy that I think we ascribe a lot more power to him than he has actually shown at this point in his career because the quality of contact metrics, the the average exit velocities and things like that are not kind to what he has done so far. They he constantly say that they're either at or below league average for his average exit velocity. So it's things like that that kind of give you pause. And it kind of makes you think that, is he going to have a power breakout? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I think that, honestly, a reasonable expectation for him is like 450 on the slugging, maybe 440 on the slugging. I don't want to go too much higher than that because then it feels like we're getting into, you know, the 40 home run territory where we're just like, yes, he can do this. And and I think that Tyler Stevenson can really make hay at the bottom of the lineup with a similar hitting profile to Sean Casey. You remember the mayor was not always the biggest home run hitter, but he was always a very consistent producer in the lineup. Now does Tyler Stevenson need to hit 300? No, but if he hits like 280, something like that, then we're talking about the guy that we had those expectations for. Whenever he came up, it was evident and it was said that he is the best catching prospect that this team has had in a long time. And, and I know we said that about Devin Mazzarocco and stuff like that, but it really looked like Tyler Stevenson had it all. Get back to that place. And, and we talked about some reasons as to why he may have fallen off a cliff a little bit last year. Cause you even mentioned in his first month that was so good, he still had a slugging percentage of like three thirty, And even mm-hmm. he would tell you that that is not good. So that's something that he really needs to rectify, become more of an extra base guy. And I think that's just line drives into the gap. We're not telling him to go out there and hit 40 bombs. We're just saying, you know, find the gap, hit the line drives, make solid contact and more, you know, good things are going to happen. There's going to be guys on base for him to do that. I mean, he's going to be hitting in the seventh or the eighth spot. And you're talking about Noel V. Marte ahead of him. You're talking about uh, that's probably around the time where Jonathan India is going to be on base. Jamer Candelario is going to be on base. There's going to be opportunity for RBIs in that lineup. But that's I'm looking at Sean Casey type numbers with maybe a little bit less batting average. So last season, 2023, Jeff, was a career high for him in extra base hits. Uh, it was a career high in home runs. He hit 13, which was a career high for him. Uh, he was one off his career high in uh, doubles. He hit 20. His career high was 21. But he added two triples for good measure, which he had never done before in his professional career. So he did reach his career high in extra base hits in 2023. I think he'll expand upon that a little bit. No, again, not 40 home runs. That's not happening. I got excited and I'm probably going to have to own that for a long time, but I could see him flirting with 20. He'll be between 15 and 20. I think these doubles, these, this is a good indication of what he's going to do with gap power. He'll have between 20 and 25 doubles this coming year. And then a triple or two for good measure, because just that's what's been happening at great American ballpark for 
some inexplicable reason with funny caroms <laughs> and bounces off the walls, they've been getting some triples out of that ballpark. So I, I think he'll continue that. I think his extra base hit totals will be better in 2024 than they were in 2023 when he hit his new career high. And you know, there's something else. And I know don't want to put too much onus on this because I feel like this is a statistic that is more of a let's look back and celebrate what a guy did as opposed to what's predictive and what's indicative of what's coming for a guy. But I would like to see his numbers with runners in scoring position improved because for his career, he has a 259 batting average and a 410 slugging. Like I'd like to see more i'd like to see that average creep a lot closer to 300 i'd like to see that slugging percentage come up and like we're not making predictions specifically on what tyler stevenson is going to look like this year but expectation wise be a guy that can be a driving force for runs down in the bottom of the lineup that doesn't mean you have to hit 100 rbis but give me like 70 or 80 maybe even creep closer to 90 that would be fantastic for me because we're talking about a guy that was a top prospect at one point. And so if we start coming down from those numbers, that means we're fundamentally changing the way that we view Tyler Stevenson. I'm not ready to do that yet. And you know, there's one other piece that we haven't touched on yet, Jeff, and we probably should talk about it for just a minute before we get out of this segment. And that is Tyler Stevenson's defense. Uh, yes. In addition to rounding out these offensive numbers, he's going to have to look the part behind the plate. He's going to have to call a good game. He's going to have to keep these runners honest in this new era of uh, more steals in baseball. And he's going to have to become uh, efficient at throwing runners out at second base. Now, some of what we saw from him last year, I'm still convinced was part of the healing process from that clavicle injury. Uh, the, the break was on his throwing side. I think he felt it more than he ever let on heading into the season. And I think it got better over the course of the year. So now starting this year, healthy, not coming off of that. I'm going to need to see a little bit more out of him defensively to go along with some increased offensive production as well. Yeah. He was consistently below average in uh, basically any metric that describes a catcher in the field especially when you're looking at baseball savant. So that that's definitely something that's going to need to improve because going back, I mean, the last decade and a half, we could count on one thing that the Reds had a good fielding catcher, whether it was Tucker, whether it was Ryan Hannigan, guys like that. They weren't always the most consistent bats in the lineup. But if you're telling me that Tyler Stevenson has kind of, we're starting to change our expectations for his bat while his glove also isn't the best, we're really talking about a guy that, okay, what's the timetable on this sort of thing? And I'm not ready to say that, you know, we're starting the clock on him yet, but we are coming to a crossroads in his career where expectations are just so far away from what we are seeing from the production side that we need to start seeing the breakout as, as much as I would like to predict a breakout this season, I will say this, he kind of needs to break out this season. Whatever that ends up looking like, and, and then like we said, the power, the defense, the runners in scoring position, that's something that we need to see from him in 2024. Let me ask you this just real quick before we blow through this segment. If I told you right now that he would finish with a slash line of 250, 350, 410, if that was his slash line in 2024, successful year? I would say I would say successful, but not a breakout. Yeah, 
offensively. I, I think it's progress. It's definitely progress from where he was last year because I feel like last year we saw the real him, right? Like we saw who he was after the injury and all that other stuff. So how can he improve on that? How can he build on that? Or is that just who he is? And if that's who he is, we really need to reevaluate how we view Tyler Stevenson. Well, this we know. Tyler Stevenson will be entering the year healthy. He's going to enjoy less pressure for what he needs to do in 2024. And there's going to be a ton of guys hitting in front of him in this lineup. They're going to get on base and give him opportunities to drive them in. Uh, all of those things will lead to some better results, I think, for Tyler Stevenson in 2024. All right, coming up, I'm sure you've all heard about it by now. Jonathan India signed a nice two-year deal with the Reds to avoid arbitration. Uh, coming up, we're going to tell you what the deal looks like, what it means, and begin to unpack it. And there's going to be a lot to talk about. It's going to take multiple episodes. We're going to start digging apart Jonathan India's deal coming up next. Before I get into any of that, though, I want to shout out the sponsor of today's podcast, FanDuel. You get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets back with any winning $5 bet. That's right. Any winning $5 bet is giving you $150 in bonus bets. That's $150, bucks, folks. You just got to pick that one right $5 pick. Bet your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live, same game parlays, exclusive props, and so much more. You can do over-unders. That's the section that Jeff lives in. Uh, you know, Hit him up on uh, the Discord server, and you can talk some betting strategies over there, I think. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. Uh, right now, FanDuel has some over-unders on Ellie De La Cruz. So if you think Ellie Dayless Cruz is going to steal 41 bases or more, head over to FanDuel right now and take the over. If you don't think he's going to get there, well, shame on you for being so negative and get over there and take the under. Either way, uh, FanDuel has got those odds for you right now because FanDuel is an official partner, sportsbook partner of the NBA and the official sportsbook of Locked On. You can follow us in between episodes on the social media platforms, X, Twitter, X, X, Twitter, old Twitter, whatever we're calling it. Jeff wants to be an X-Man. You can follow him at Jeff Carr. That's Jeff with three Fs. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker. That's with two Fs. And you can follow the show at Locked on Reds. There is no Fs in that. Also, join us on that Discord server. I mentioned it just a second ago. Lots of great conversation over there about the Reds. We've got off-topic channels for the Bengals and, and all kinds of things. Uh, the link for that is down in the show description. Uh, spring training is getting underway, so there's going to be a lot of baseball conversation over there between shows. We look forward to talking some baseball with you. And make sure that you bookmark InsideTheReds.com. Uh, we're covering the Reds in written form over there. Jeff's writing over there. I'm writing over there. Uh, Caleb Sisk's writing over there. James Rapine, Audie Elmore. Rick Uccino, big staff of folks writing about the Reds over there. Make sure you bookmark that site and check it out today, right after you're done listening to this. All right, Jeff, India signed a deal. Jonathan India avoids arbitration with the Reds signing a two-year deal. The first year of this deal, Jeff, very team-friendly in my estimation. $3.8 million, one-year deal, avoids arbitration, or one first year of the deal, avoids arbitration, keeps the relationship nice and and cool no anger no hurt feelings nobody nobody upset everything's great second year of this deal five million dollars with a lot of opportunity to earn more it's intriguing to me because if they just continue to do the arbitration process and if 
India broke out this year and really went crazy, he probably could get a lot more than five million. And there are escalators. There are some bonuses that can can bump up the five million all the way up to seven point oh five million or seven point five million. But even still, like we're not talking about an exorbitant amount of money. Both these years are very team friendly, and I, I I think you're right. I think that one of the things that this deal accomplishes, and we're going to talk in depth a lot more on tomorrow's show about the big points to take away from these deals. But I will say this: what this deal accomplishes is this a flag of truce, right? I wouldn't say that these two sides have animosity. It's not like the Reds in India are at each other's throats here, but we are talking about now a year and a half, two years of trade rumors, a year and a half, two years of India hearing his name coming up in, you know, national reports about, well, the blue Jays are interested in trading for him or the giants or the Mariners or somebody is, is talking about trading for Jonathan India all while he's wearing red and white with a C on his head. So I really want to see how this kind of patches up the relationship currently are we going to continue to hear those trade rumors on a day in day out basis because i think this deal at least whether or not you believe it 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 shelves any trade rumors it definitely quiets them in the near term i i I think you're right this deal preserves the relationship um i have a lot of thoughts about the structure of this deal that i think will lend themselves better to the conversation on tomorrow's episode so i'm going to save them for tomorrow's episode but i will say for this year for the right now i like now that india enters camp and and i imagine like most of the position players they're going to report early he's probably already out in arizona getting his place set up for the month those kind of things so i like now that he comes into camp without the uncertainty without the the arbitration hearing had to have have happened without having to listen to the team run him down all of those things off the shelf he comes in with some stability for this year uh it does a lot of things with this the structure that i think gives the reds some good options as well and i'll pick up on that when we talk about it tomorrow Yeah, and let's talk about the escalators for just a moment because I find these interesting. The Reds sort of challenged him a little bit with the the potential earnings that he could have because, yes, the base salary for 2025 is set at $5 million. He can earn over $2 million with these escalators, and it starts if he gets to 400 plate appearances or 98 games started. He will earn an extra $400,000 for hitting those two numbers. And then he will earn another 400,000 for every 50 plate appearances on top of 400 or every 13 games started on top of 98 with the final escalator actually being worth 450,000 if he gets to 600 plate appearances or 150 games started. So the obvious question with that, and my thoughts on this are kind of interesting because I think he can hit it if he does one thing but do you think that he can get all two, 2.05 million of these escalators? I think that he can, and I'm not sure that it'll be the Cincinnati Reds paying them all. Ooh. See, now that, that's a point to ponder for tomorrow's episode because I, I, I find it interesting, and that's not the point that I was going to say. I think from the Reds' perspective at least, he hits all these escalators if he can play the outfield. I don't necessarily know that he hits these escalators and all he's doing is playing second, first, and DH. I think that you're probably talking about 400, 450, maybe approaching 500 plate appearances 
with that kind of a plan and he stays healthy, but yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to hit 600 plate appearances. Think about this. The last time he did that was his rookie of the year campaign. And that's when he had second base all to himself. No one was worried about who was playing second base over Jonathan Indy at that time. Right now it's Matt McClain. And I don't necessarily know that you can make an argument for Jonathan Indy over Matt McClain. Not one that I would agree with anyway. So I I think that that's going to be the thing that if he stays with the Reds, he's got to be good at playing the outfield. I think that's a great point. And I think it will also be worth us paying attention to how he approaches his work in the outfield that he's surely going to get in spring training. Uh, we're going to need to see, you know, him actually playing full go in the outfield because he's going to have to demonstrate that he can get that done. And the biggest question is the arm. How's he going to throw it? He was moved off third base because of the arm. Now he's going to be moved to an even more intensive position in the field that you need to have a good arm for. So how does that all work out for him but look we both agree that this contract definitely gives him security it quiets the the trade rumors for a little bit it makes the relationship seem all hunky-dory because they don't have to go to arbitration and fight each other for eight hundred thousand dollars which by the way 3.8 million is a compromise he was wanting four the reds were offering 3.2 he gets 3.8 for this year and he gets another year on top of that. So got some thoughts about that. You're going to want to check out tomorrow's episode because we're going to unpack. There's two big points to ponder with this, and they both have a little bit to do with whether or not the Reds are going to trade Jonathan India. We'll discuss that on tomorrow's podcast, but that'll wrap us up for today. Steve, take us away. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Reds. Thanks so much for always making us your first listen every day. Every day, as Jeff said, coming up tomorrow, we're going to continue to explore this Jonathan India deal and share our thoughts on what we think it means long term for Jonathan India and for the Reds. So make sure you have subscribed. Make sure you have hit that notification bell here on YouTube. Make sure you have subscribed on your favorite podcasting feed. Spring training is here, Jeff. What can the people expect from you and I? They can expect us to be all over the movements and the who's in the best shape of their lives as they show up to Goodyear. They can expect us. I don't know that I'm in the best shape of my life, but they can expect us to be all over any sort of rumors about transactions and things like that because they can expect us to be locked on Reds every single day. You're definitely not in the best shape of your life. I need to get back into the gym for that for like another month.